When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This week on Brubby Twirled. With Feeney, and I was like, we don't get a lot of Jack and Feeney. I feel like anytime a student gets a chance to get a lesson from Feeney, it feels honored. You're like, oh, this is my Feeney episode? It uses Feeney better than he's been used All since I can remember. I feel like Feeney's just kind of been like, they don't know what to do with him. I but agree. in this episode, it's like they brought him back to what he does best, which is teaching lessons in non-direct ways. When this form meets world. What up, boys? What up, boys? And welcome to Brown Meets World. When this Brown Meets World. Your boy meets world fun girls. I'm Siege. And I am Tony Curtis. How are you? How you doing? How you do? How you doing? How you doing? (laughs) I'm doing good, man. I'm excited. I actually, you know what? I'm excited to talk to you about this episode. Are you? I am. I'm feeling good. Like, I don't know. We've been getting a lot of crap lately. And to me, I felt like there was this episode kind of did something for me i i weren't gonna get into it i just i'm excited to talk to you i completely agree with you in that point in time where this episode felt different from how it usually feels um but i do want to say before we get into the episode i just want to uh kind of check in on you it's been a while uh since we've recorded i know that we just released an episode oh yeah yeah. Uh, but it's been a while since we recorded how has the new year been treating you so far you know, I'm feeling good. The world is weird, and I'm kind of embracing it. Absolutely, the 2024 feels like the wild card year. It is a leap year. Uh, and to that point, I was I I didn't want to make this our homework, but I did want to bring up the Cat Williams of it all. Oh, I'm so glad you brought you, that. I, like, bro, me and you could talk about that motherfucker's <laughs> interview for the whole episode, and I we're would. not going to. I promise. I promise. But I just wanted to bring up. That I will say this because I I wrote it on uh, my threads and I um I will say it again. A lot of people responded to Cat Williams, but not one person threatened to sue. And in an industry, and in a country that is as litigious as the United States of America and Hollywood, if you ain't threatened to sue, then you know he was talking some truth. <laughs> I have been deep in the sauce of this 
all week. And let me just tell you, it's amazing. Everything he said in the interview is backed up with receipts. I, I remember going to see Kings of Comedy. I've been following all of these people their entire careers. Yeah. And to just see, like, to hear what's been going on behind the scenes, the beef between Steve Harvey and Bernie Mac. Like, I'm getting into it all. And it's so, mm, the tea is so good this time. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like, 2024 has been serving tea, if nothing else. Yes, absolutely. Oh, you're right. That's a very good point. If nothing else, 24 said, we we here to reveal the truth. Let's, we let's here to out. just say the says. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. Okay. Uh, again, you guys, thank you for that, having a little break. I wanted to get us in the mood. But nonetheless, um, as always, you guys, make sure that you are, um, if you are listening to us, on youtube that you hit subscribe that if you are listening to us on your phone that you hit follow uh we always appreciate a rating we always appreciate hearing from you guys at brummyworld at gmail.com or at brummyworld on all the places including threads as i had said um and i don't want to take up that much more of your time i think that we should just get into the tell me about it 705 you light up my union tell us about it Girls' night gets overrun when Corey and Sean come and overstep. Rachel is forced to put the boys in check. Tell us about it. Jack and Eric get new jobs, but Eric gets into monkey trouble. So Jack is forced to then bust his bubble. You know I love when we get two lyrics, and I think you did great. Because at first I was like, he with the whole song without even discussing the beat plot. But nope, I, you brought it back around. You, you're feeling you're, you're feeling yourself. I like it. I like it for you. Well, let uh, me just say this. It was yeah. very hard to uh, combine them into one uh, just because the two storylines are so drastically different and weird. Very. Mm-hmm. Can I just say, what the hell is the meaning of this title? You light up my union. Other than the boys working at the student union, I really just could not find the connection between... Uh, the A plot and the B plot in the name of this episode. I think it's a play on the song You Light Up My Life. Um, but I agree with you that that doesn't necessarily mean anything. So no. we'll have to come back to that. But uh, this is season seven, episode five, You Light Up My Union. Rachel gets mad when Corey and Sean read her diary while Jack and Eric take over as managers for the student union. I kept it simple. It's honestly, it's best to keep it simple. And let me just say, after a season of what seemed to be very chaotic episodes, this episode felt structurally, like, sound to me. I I don't know how to say that. But, like, it just felt like there was thought into these characters. I'm so glad that we're getting the girls and their roommate dynamics explored. I'm glad that we're getting a good use of Jack Hunter. And getting into Jack and Eric in terms of like, okay, they're in school. They're about to graduate. They're prepping for the real world. Like these are things that conversations that should be had in your last year of college. So I'm really glad that we just got into these stories that felt very timely, but also that they were kind of simplistic in their nature. So I, I felt like your simplistic review was was good. Uh, I just want to say uh, to your point that this was written by Allison M. Gibson and directed by Kevin Tracy. Um, just these are names that we don't always hear. I'm not going to say that they haven't done anything, but uh, just want to give them credit because you're right. This felt totally different from the last few episodes we had seen. Um, in some way, 
they feel like two different shows and mm-hmm. they feel like two different missions. Um, but I'm looking forward to getting into both of these because I I'll, I will say this earlier I had said Corey and Sean were the a plot, but I'm actually gonna make I'm gonna make because of the way that the lesson is the way that this story is kind of structured. I'm gonna call Jack and Eric the a storyline. Truly, really? I think it is. I think yeah. it's the most complete storyline of of the bunch. Yeah, exactly. And so so because of that, I will say that worked kind of the best for me the a storyline and um we still have some zaniness we still have some what are we doing we still have some we're definitely in season seven yes uh, of it all thank you so much for saying that because (laughs) when we got to jack and eric's storyline it to me it felt like such a great season seven episode the monkey appearance (laughs) makes it so clear that we're in like season seven cartoon like ball like throw it on the wall who cares like whatever it's the last season but the exploring like that dynamic between jack and eric what makes jack special and important and what makes eric special and important and what can they learn from each other these feel like classic boy meets world lessons where i feel like if you got rid of the zaniness of the monkey aspect of it or how like kind of overly dumb eric is you could easily place the storyline in season five or season six and it would fit perfectly I agree with you. I think that if we eliminate the monkey entirely and we come up with some other MacGuffin that we need, um, we would, in fact, have a really solid story arc with these two characters. I loved, like, when we started the episode off, we got to see Jack with Feeny, and I was like, mm-hmm. we don't get a lot of Jack and Feeny. And I like this idea that Feeny has been watching Jack at, as well and knows his strengths and knows what lesson Jack needs to learn. And it's just like, it makes Feeny like this all seeing eye, but it also, I feel like anytime a student gets a chance to get a lesson from Feeny, it feels honored. You're like, oh, this is my Feeny episode. This is my Feeny episode. You know what I'm saying? And also I think it uses Feeny better than he's been used since I can remember, like since like, um, the whole be true episode where like he like destroyed all of that Curtis's shit yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Like ever since then, I feel like Feeny's just kind of been like they don't know what to do with him. I but agree. in this episode, it's like they brought him back to what he does best, which is teaching lessons in non-direct ways. Absolutely. And I love that they found a way to incorporate his style of teaching into a collegiate setting of this like Jack being like so focused on what's next, but Feeney being like, I know what's next and I'm going to prepare you for it. It's like something I appreciate it because I, I don't feel like we've gotten that in a while. Absolutely. Um, so I I personally was really happy with the development of Jack and Eric in this episode. I'm not going to lie. I liked, I liked the performance of, of almost everyone. We know where my exceptions are, but like I liked the performance of almost everyone. I especially liked Eric this episode because I felt his dumb was more naivete than it was Jim Carrey at his max. Oh, I disagree with you entirely. But really? Yeah. Um, I I think that as much as I love this storyline and as much as I, of course, love Will Friedle's performances, he's so like great at certain portions of this episode. 
the the level of dumb that they're making Eric where I don't know if it's safe for Eric to be unsupervised and and that's <laughs> like where we're getting like to the cartoony aspect where I'm really struggling like if it was anything other than a monkey like give me any other reason give me any uh something during that performance to make me believe that Eric understands that he's giving away money that he's going to be accountable for or that Jack will get in trouble for just a moment of just being like I don't know if I really should do this instead of being so blind that there's an Eric monkey who needs a girlfriend like it seems like the most outrageous storyline to the point where I wish they would have made it more of a um, a Pinocchio thing where it's like hey when you go out in the real world people are gonna try to scam you and yeah. I wish it wasn't a scam that was so easy to see through I, that I feel like would have made the lesson more perfect but for the children. thing is at the end it isn't a scam so that's the problem with your whole idea is that at the end it turns out to not be a scam even though it's set up like a scam I completely get that yeah. and, and to my I'm gonna push back and say that <laughs> Your problem is with the monkey aspect of it, not Eric's performance. And I say this because in the first, when we first see Eric and um, Jack in the student union and they're working the student union and it makes sense, Jack is talking about how well he's doing and how prepared he is and how excited yeah. he is. And then he looks over and he says that he's worried about Eric. And what mm -hmm. we see Eric do from that point is Eric has people skills. This is what I keep coming back to. Eric is not like, it's not that he's um, a unattended child. It's that he sees the joy and happiness. And as Feeney later says, has the heart that is needed. And so he's going up to these, uh, he's going up to one girl and he's like, you know what you need? You're studying really hard. You're too focused. Here's some whipped cream, you know, like yeah. adds a little brightness to your day. You two, you've been making eyes at each other all this time. Come, sit at the table, say hi to her. He's a good looking guy. You know, yeah. start a conversation. Here's some whipped cream for it. And it's like, is it zany? Is it weird? Yes, but his weirdness in this moment makes sense. I don't even it. think it's weird and zany. I actually think it's a perfect use of Eric. We're seeing yes. Eric display amazing customer service skills in the Correct. way Jack can. We're Correct. seeing a direct uh, contrast in their skill sets in the way where both of them can be equally successful in two different positions. And I wish you, that would have been the extent of it. I wish they didn't push it to be so zany because I feel like that was enough to set up the conflict. Well, here's the thing that I will say. First of all, I agree with you in the sense that Jack, it's it's just whimsical enough for mm -hmm. Jack to think that he's, you know, Above, he's like, oh, yeah. I'm worried about him. It's yeah. just enough. But Jack is also just together enough for you to understand why Eric feels like, oh, I went too far this time. I need to dial it back. Yeah. yeah. Go from 90 to zero, you know? So I, that that was my whole thing with it. But I will say, I, I think you keep coming back to the zaniest thing that happens. If we think about it, the zaniest thing that actually happens that Eric actually participates in is the monkey of it all. And to that, when, when Eric gives the monkey to the organ grinder, I said the money to the organ grinder and the organ grinder who is if we're going to do our roll call is played by um jack axelrod is his name cool um name. yeah name, bro. <laughs> when he gives the money to um the organ grinder and he says little eric do your happy dance and he does it and then eric goes i have the same happy dance i was like yes this worked on me 
it was just silly enough. It's not like he tried to be a monkey. It's not like he, you know, it's like he didn't go to the max of putting on a monkey costume or trying to be the monkey's girlfriend or any of this other really ridiculous stuff I don't put past them. He just literally bonded with a monkey and someone who needed money. And I am with you in the idea that both Eric and Jack give money away that I'm like, it's not yours. This is the student. Well, you- this and this is <laughs> this is the issue is that when Jack gives his money away, and I I don't want to skip ahead, but it's just it's it happens in a way where you can sympathize with Jack in that moment. And I wish that something would have happened to make us sympathize with Eric in that moment to think like, oh, even in your own Eric way. And maybe this was the best I could come up with, but I just struggled because when Jack later chastises Eric about it, I'm kind of on Jack's side. I'm like, oh, 100%. Oh, you are not, I don't know that you can be unsupervised in the world. Like there are things that Eric says and does that makes me wonder if he is a normally functioning adult. And like, that's the part where I'm like, start to side with Eric, a uh, Jack in a way where I don't know that, it helps the storyline that I'm like for Jack in this okay. in this way. So I'm gonna push and say that I feel like Eric in this episode is the most ADHD that he could be, without being or spectrum, the, whatever, or yeah, spectrum yeah. or whatever. Because specifically, there's a moment where Jack goes, "What are you gonna do with this money?" He goes, "Go to the bank, deposit it, come back." And he's like, "That's all. Repeat it. Go to the bank. Go to the bank. Come back." <laughs> you see him walk into the bank, being like, "Mom's lunch." Pineapple, you know, like, like, like the random things that you understand that all his mindset was repeat these three words, but through the game of telephone that is his brain, yeah. it's changed. And even though he got there, he's like, wait, what am I doing here again? Oh, I'm at a bank. That's what this is for. So to me, I was like, oh, Eric's actually not being like, I can't think of anything that Eric does that is too zany or too crazy that he does in this episode that he hasn't done crazier things in the episode previously That's very or true. in upcoming episodes in it's this season particular seven episode. so it, it is what it is i will say this there is something about the way that jack feels protective over eric yeah that i really enjoyed and i'm like there's something between these two our like, derek moment let's talk you about know, I love it derek like and it, it feels very brotherly it feels very um like you can understand why Jack is concerned for Eric in a way where, um, you know, I feel like every character on the show has expressed concern for Eric's future in some way, shape or form. So it makes sense that Jack is that person and that's his best friend. He feels the responsibility to try to help him even if he does it in his own Jack way. Well, what he says, which I think is really interesting, when Eric comes back without the money, he goes, I don't have the deposit slip. I gave it to, it does feel very Jack and the Beanstalk yeah oh this dude gave me magic beans and you're like what you know like like it does feel very much that um and which by the way would have made a way better title like jack mm-hmm. and the bank teller or something like that oh yeah, yeah you know <laughs> but anyway um all this is to say that eric comes back and he's more optimistic and naive and he's like i gave him my word why wouldn't yeah. he come back and the only thing that i have with this particular lesson as you were saying is we then validate Eric's decision, his foolish decision to give a bunch of money to a man who we do not have any reason to believe. 
Like everything is set up that this is a scam. We see the guy look at his name tag and say, oh, his name is Eric. Oh, this dude has a bunch of money. Yeah. My monkey's called Little Eric, you know? And I need the exact amount of money you have. Oh my God. It happens to be the exact amount. Like and so he's that, rewarded for his naivete in a way that is dangerous for, for kids. Exactly. And that idea of he gave his word being something that we see come back and it's like, oh, you should trust people who give you their word. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You're right in the sense that just because someone gave you their word does not mean that you should trust them. But also, you shouldn't be so cold-hearted as to not see people and help people in need. So, Can we we have a real conversation? Jack should not have said Eric. Oh, um, thank you. As a manager, this is your job. Uh Eric is a people person. Uh You tend to attend the register while you go do manager shit. Like, really, this comes back to Jack, which is why I think Eric wasn't fired for that shit. Yeah. Because you use, like, uh, union money to to give away. That's not your money. Nope. And, and, all right, so two things. Like, we we going deep dive in here. First of all, everybody knows that deposit bag is locked. You can't open yeah. that thing without a key. You mm-hmm. zip it up, you lock it, and then the bank unlocks it to get whatever's out there. So the fact that he could even go in there, that's all on Jack. And as you said, time. I was like, why did Jack even have it? Why, if you did not think you could trust Eric, why would you l- let him have the money of it all? Mm-hmm. Like, you're going to let him have the student union. Would you come back and Eric's throwing a talent show for monkeys? That's a very big possibility, but you will have all the money. You will most likely have all the merch and you just got to explain why there's monkey feces on the floor. That's it. And that's a lot more forgivable to a, to a school, to a boss, to everybody. than we lost all of our profits from yesterday. Can you imagine your manager coming to <laughs> like, you're a store owner and the manager comes to you and says, Hey, we lost the profits from today. Cause an employee gave it away to a monkey. It's <laughs> like this Eric shouldn't be working there anymore. And the only way it happens is if Jack took the fall. Absolutely. Well, Jack doesn't take the fall because we later see Jack repeat the exact same thing. And then he well, goes, I'll just work overtime. And I was like, that's not how money works. Yeah. Like the cash register. If it said you sold $10, you can't work and sell 10 more dollars and be like, that replaces the $10. No, the cash register now says you owe $20. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like, I, at least Jack had the idea of like, I'm going to take personal accountability for this money. I don't feel like that ever registered to Eric. What I would have preferred is if maybe if Jack's boss showed up and Eric saw Jack get chewed out for it. And that's yes. what inspired Eric yes. to change versus, um, you know, this kind of very cartoonish, I gave the money to a monkey and like, yeah. you know, but one thing I have to say, one thing I like that Jack says is that like, hey, after this year, no one's going to be around to clean this, these messes for you. The world is going to crush you. And at this point, as an audience, yeah, yes. the world is going yes. to crush Eric. So, like, yes. I have no reason to believe otherwise at this point. Absolutely. And to your point, I like what he says after that. We, we were talking about Jarek and our Jarek connection. Mm. And I like that he says, I won't let you bring me down with you. Mm. And that goes to show he's like, look, I am I've been riding with you for the longest, but next year we can't be doing this kind of stuff. I can't let you drag me down with your hijinks and your like I I without making it any more than what it's supposed to be. I love you. I care about you, but I can't let you and your foolishness hold me back. And that's very realistic. And that's very Jack is right 
to feel that way. And I do like that the lesson that he ends up learning is that Eric also has merit and that they together make for good business. Oh, I don't think Eric makes for good business at all, actually. But the customer service, as you said, like customer service. if If we look, if we look around, Jack, I think it's Jack says that, oh, now that he is, um, you know, more hard and he is more about business and he's not thinking about customer service as much, Jack is like, this is better for a business. And Feeney's like, is it? And then you look at the student union and nobody is happy. Everyone's upset. Everyone's just kind of like off. And the vibe that was once welcoming, the vibe that makes people come into the student union, there was a point in time where... Feeney is considering buying something simply because of the way that Eric is talking it up. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like, but, that's okay. good for business. But Jack is not responsible for Eric changing his entire personality because Eric lost s- school money. Like, I, Jack should be able to express like, hey, you put me in a position where I could get in trouble and I can't stand for that. And Eric should be able to internalize that and adjust his behavior in a way that doesn't make everyone miserable. I don't feel like Jack should take any responsibility for the way that Eric is treating the people of the student union now that he's been reprimanded for his behavior. Well, here's the thing is, the problem, at least on the episode, and this is specifically the way the episode argues it, is that it's not that he lost the money because, again, in the end, he doesn't lose the money. The money comes back, and Eric has faith that the money will come back. So it is not the money that Eric is responding to. He's responding to Jack saying, no one will be here to clean up your messes anymore. You need to start taking life seriously. That's what Eric is responding to. That's what that change of behavior is coming from. And it is directly from Jack yelling at Eric. Again, I just, I just feel I, like Feeney ha- could have had a moment to talk to Eric yes. in the way to let him know that there can be balance. Like, yes. that's the one thing is that it's Feeney almost makes it seem like Jack, as long as you stick with Eric and Eric, as long as you stick with Jack, you two will be two parts of one brain and you'll be able to be successful. But I'm like, that's not really very helpful to these people who may go their separate ways. Like we need to teach them to be balanced individuals. And I wish that the conversation would have been, hey, Eric, you can be serious without changing your whole personality. And Jack, you can have heart while still being responsible. And it just feels like it was like, hey, you can be one and have the other with you versus being both. It's the that lesson is I it. interpreted. That's the, what it. you got from it. But that's what I got from it. Specifically says, because if you remember, there's a whole dialogue about Jack saying he can learn a lot from me. The argument, as Feeney is saying, is not that you guys need each other, but you guys can learn from each other. And That's I do what feel Feeney like, says. Yeah, I do feel like Feeney does push that. I just don't know that Jack ever understood that completely. So it's um, Jack's. It's Jack's. Uh, again, I. I just want to. I want to clarify. I don't disagree with you that it could be a better lesson. I just want to say that it's Jack who goes to Feeney and says. I get that you were trying to teach me that I could learn from Eric. Sure. And, and you know what? I, again, 
I am picking at Harris because we're in season seven. And this yeah. was actually, again, a storyline I enjoyed. I love it. When Jack has that Ebenezer Scrooge moment at the yeah. bank where he has that realization that, hey, I don't want to be a heartless capitalist. Yeah. And I am going to uh, help out a person in need just from the, the goodness of my heart. With money, that's not his. Yeah. But still, <laughs> it just feels like, you know, there was a lesson that felt important to teach Jack the character, which I appreciate it. Absolutely. And uh, I, I do like that Eric goes, not Eric, Jack goes, don't, you don't want to be like me. You know, like he, like he is having this conversation in his head. And so he's talking to the banker and, you know, yeah. he's stumbled across this thing and he's just like, you don't want to be like me. And they're all like, wait, what? Because they would be shocked. It's like, what? Yeah. What are you talking about? Uh, really quickly to kind of wrap up our roll call. In that scene, we meet uh, Lou Felder, who plays the bank manager, Bill Stevenson, who plays the uh, bank teller or loan officer, and Jennifer Griffin, who is the woman in need. And again, she's like, "I'll pay you right back." And it's like, "Lady, lady." <laughs> well, can I just say something about uh, that specific scene? It, it's it's like. Yes. You know, you don't want Jack to be like a heartless capitalist. But what's really funny is that when he gives money, when when Jack gives money to the woman in need, the bank manager seems visibly upset that he will now be able to collect the payment. And that made no sense to me. Well, it actually does when you know anything about the American financial system, which does not want you to pay your bills. It wants you to be in debt. That is exactly, Man. that's it. We are getting a into it. <laughs> wow, 99, they already saw the downfall of capitalism. I mean, here we are. Here, here we are. We are because again, they're like, ooh, you trying to pay a bill? No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, no. We don't want that. No, we don't right. want that. You uh, right. We want you in debt and we want you making payments for the rest of your life. Uh, anyway, uh, going back to it. Uh, this also leads to what will be, I can, I'm going to call it now, it is my Feeny lesson. Sure, um, sure, sure. Which yeah. is Feeny saying, it's not enough to succeed in this world because then you're a part of it. Yeah. You must want to change it. Yeah. You have a fine mind. With your fine mind and his good heart, you'll both do well. And that's the thing where I was like, this is a Feeny lesson I needed. This is a Feeny lesson that in all honesty, I want to like, Put on my wall somewhere this idea of it is not enough to succeed in this world because yeah. if you succeed in a capitalistic world you just become a part of it you have to want can, to change it can i just say that this is one of my favorite feeny feeny scenes that we've had in a really long time i love the way jack is looking at feeny as he talks kind of really soaking in his wisdom um but we also just have feeny teaching again and i feel like the show really once they got to college kind of underestimated how important the teaching and learning aspect of the show played in the enjoyment for the audience. Correct. Because when the boys, or when the whole cast was learning lessons that we could relate to, when it was happening consistently on an episode-to-episode basis, we're reading this book, this is how it affects my personal life, this is the lesson I learned, we can walk away feeling like we got a message from Feeny or whomever. And I feel like that's really been missing in the last like season or so. So whenever we get those moments, it really just feels like the heart of the show is returning in a way that feels like a callback to the to the highlight seasons of, of the series. 
I agree with you. And also, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me that we don't have a lot of stories in movies or television that honors the wisdom that comes with age. The idea that Feeney doesn't have to pull from a book. He's Mm -hmm. been teaching long enough. He knows these boys long enough to know the lessons that they need to learn. And we'll share it, as you said, in a indirect way, but a way that he knows they will eventually get the lesson. We need to... Uh, honor the wisdom that comes from elders and their experiences and I think that we've kind of lost that in a way we've lost that because the people who are in power and refuse to let go of power don't want to just be wise they also want to be the ones making the shows making the movies be in the way of it all Mm -hmm. and they don't want to pass on that knowledge to anyone they want to like hoard it but I think that if you have a show like Boy Meets World that promotes intergenerational lessons, that's what we connected with. This Oh, that's such a great point. I'm so sorry, but yes, I agree. I agree. Oh, sorry, sorry. I was going to say that that's what really made um, Boy Meets World unique. You got this grandfather lesson from someone who wasn't their grandfather. And as, as we've all grown up in our relationship, some of us don't meet our grandparents, but mm-hmm. knowing that there are people out there who have lived this life before, who know what they're talking about, who are willing to step aside and let you learn and be the quote unquote center, the, the main character of the story, but mm-hmm. we're here to also share and impart our wisdom, that is missing, that is yeah. needed. That's actually one of the foundations of the hero stories, the old wise man. And we just don't have that as much anymore. Well, I just think that in general, it's something I just thought of as you were making that point was the intergenerational storytelling element. How when we were in seasons one through five, we had storylines going between Feeney and Alan and Amy and the kids and Mr. Turner. And just there were all of these like intergenerational storylines that made it really family Friday night television where any age group could jump in and feel represented. Ever since we've gone to college, it's been solely focused on the boys and the kids and uh, this very specific college age group. Even Amy and Alan, who went through like a huge thing having a kid, was kind of a blip in that season. They weren't even really fleshed out, really. And so it just feels like it, it feels like a song that doesn't have enough bass or trap. You know what I mean? Yes. Like it's just yes. something, no, the balance is off a The balance is bit. off. And to your point, like it reminded me of, I don't remember, we were, uh, for those of you who don't know, it's on our Patreon. We re-recorded Last Tango in Philly. But when we were talking about Last Tango in Philly, we looked at the fact that these boys were learning the lesson about women and about relationships through Eric. Not through Alan or Feeney, the experienced married elders, you know, like they are not the ones who are teaching these lessons. And I think that there is a space to say, hey, sometimes adults do know what they're talking about. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes they have wisdom to impart. And I think that that's what we're missing. I feel like that was kind of like the special sauce. Mm. And it's what we ha- haven't had a lot of lately. 
one thing I just want to say about the storyline, and you can add whatever you'd like to it before we close out, but um, the the man with the monkey comes back yep. and he he tells Eric, hey, I kept my word. Here is the monkey's girlfriend. Here's the money I owed you. And the monkey man looks to Eric and says, you're a good boy. Don't ever change, which is something that Feeney reiterates. And then Eric says, I'll try not to. The sprinkle, sprinkle, Michael Jacobs a moment. It felt like, again, like there was heart Yes. in this show that yeah. I haven't felt in the episodes prior to the in the season, which I think desperately needed more heart. I agree. So I think that's why this episode feels like a standout in the storyline, which still is kind of zany, still feels like it it means more to me than some of the other ones it has. And I think it I think it's interesting that that comes best when Feeney is teaching a lesson. So are you ready for the B storyline? <laughs> <laughs> sure. So B storyline is, I like how we start. I will say that. I like how we start. You have Rachel, Angela, and Topanga are living in their apartment again, which is really Mm. Jack's apartment, but whatever. Okay. Uh, And they're like, it's so nice to have a girls night. Let's watch a movie. Things that we don't get to do when the boys are around. Rachel's like, I'm so happy because when the boys were living with me, I couldn't watch a movie without booty in the title. But now I get to watch Terms of Endearment or whatever. She just started listing off these kind of famous 90s quote unquote chick flicks. And she was so excited to have a girls night. Enter Corey. And it's Corey specific because I made note that Corey directly said, Topinga says, I thought I told you we were having a girl's night. And Corey says, I heard that, but I thought you'll be there. Angela will be there. Sean and I should obviously be there. And we're going to interrupt this time that you've already notified me should be set aside. I'm going to tell y'all right now, and I've, I've honestly been waiting to say this. This is the perfect time to say this. Mm, tell I, <laughs> for a while, I felt bad because I've been looking at all of the sponsor or the, the responses and feed online. There are a lot of people who are like, I feel like Corey is just being too hard on. I feel like it's the 90s. You guys should just let it be, blah, 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 blah. No, none of that. Because the point of critique is to point out what could be better. And if we're going to tell these stories again, a lot of storytelling is telling the same stories over and over again, but with a twist or updating them. And if we are going to tell these type of stories, if you're going to tell a story about roommates who have conflict or men who need to learn boundaries with their girlfriend's roommate, all of those things are good. I can't stand Corey doing this because Corey inserts himself in a way that is not lovable. Going to her and being like, I heard what you said and I chose to ignore it. Nah, not good. And the fact that this episode continuously, continuously, it's just like, well, look at him. He's so cute. That's that's what I wanted to say. My issue isn't even with Corey in this episode. Corey is who he has been allowed to be the entire time. No one has checked this motherfucker. So of course he oversteps. He is a habitual line stepper, okay? And so it, it he makes complete sense. The to Angela and Topanga of it all, specifically the Topanga of it all, when you guys just got back together after you guys had all this nonsense, the fact that she is so, but isn't he so cute? Like, I, like he, for example, when he first start, starts in, he's like, um, 
they jump in. He kind of immediately dismisses the movies that Rachel yeah. is excited to watch. He's like, oh, estrogen on parade. Put the seat down. These shoes are these shoes. And he is so misogynist in a way that to me just doesn't even logically fit well with who we know Topanga to be and who she would allow her partner to be. Because what? if Corey said that to season one, two, even season three Topanga, Topanga would check him. Well, not only that, but like, you're right. We're starting to venture over into Topanga just being classic TV wife. Um, passive. Yeah, passive, um, very much uh, encouraging or allowing at the very minimum, bare minimum of uh, his behavior. And it just seems like, it seems like the character of Topanga has lost all fight yeah. of any kind. And or at least with Corey. Because she, she's going to fight and she's going to argue with Rachel, whose house this is, by the way. Don't even get me started her. on that shit. More than anything else that happens, Angela and Sapanga go to Rachel and say, um, you should just let it be. I mean, this is our place. It's like, girl, you got here yesterday. 100%. <laughs> and I don't and even know if y'all paying rent. What is going on? I, I love all of this. And can I just say, even though we're kind of like, kind of poking holes at how Corey and Topanga are acting in forms of the characters that have been established. There was, it maybe still is, but definitely during this time, a conversation about quote unquote chick flicks and the way that chick yes. flicks were talked about in media, yeah. the way that they were talked about by men in media. There was something about this that felt overly tropey, but also very true of a time period that I myself experienced. Yes. And I feel like if you were to remove the the Corey and Topanga of it all in the sense that like, oh, this is not who I know Topanga to be. And oh, I want Corey to be a better person. If you could forget that shit. I feel like this interruption into Girls' Night works. This is something I could see on Living Single. This is something I could see on Friends. This is something yeah. I can see on another show in a very sitcom -y way. I just wish that Topanga, again, would just have found moments to check Corey that weren't prov uh, provoked by Rachel. Correct. Specifically, because even Angela, if we're going to be honest, because yeah. even Angela is allowing this kind of behavior from these boys. And what's funny is, you're right, if we remove, like, the relationship of it all, this feels very uh, friends. It feels very Joey and Chandler are in Monica and Rachel's. Actually, there is an yeah. entire episode of Monica having to deal with her brother being in the apartment again because he's now dating Rachel. And, you know, that whole thing of being like, ah, I had to deal with this growing up and now I have to deal with it as an adult. Again, that storyline works. I'm not against the boys being in their space. I'm against the way in which the boys dismiss the girls and are, their behavior is co-signed by the girls. The co-signing of the behavior is my biggest issue. Cause, okay, so later on- uh, Wait, 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 really quickly, even yeah. before then, like they hop on the couch and bump Rachel off her own couch and then even, even from, and this is from like a friendship roommate perspective, you guys know that Rachel is single. You know yeah. that she's not with anyone. Does it feel like a good use of her time or does it feel respectful of your plans for you to be coupled up with your boyfriends on the couch mm. while your roommate, whose house this is, has to sit and watch you guys basically co-opt the living room. 
they they never comment on the fifth wheel of it all. They never comment yes. on how it might make Rachel feel to yes. see them coupled up. They never talk about how she was denied the girl's apartment that she ultimately dreamt of because the girls got together with the boys so quickly. Correct. She never got to have any of that. And all of that is overlooked because the habitual line stepping gets all the attention. We kind of lose focus on just the friendship element of it all, like you were saying. Thank you. That's my point. My point is Topanga and Angela are being bad roommates in general. Mm -hmm. And you can have a you're being bad roommates conversation. And you can do so without using Rachel's body as the oh, well, solution. We're, yeah, it. we're going to get to that. Yeah, um, yeah. So then the next time we see them yeah. is when we see them in the apartment mm -hmm. and they're eating all the girls' food. And well, they're critiquing all the girls' food, but keep going. Yeah, and uh, just one thing I want to say about that, which I thought, thought was so interesting, is that when the boys are back there and they're just eating up all the food, Rachel comes down, she's in a towel, she was not expecting them to be there, um, and the boys are like, hey, we came in with our key, and she's like, wow, I really wish Topanga would have told me that, and the boys are like, oh, shit, we didn't know she didn't tell you about the key. And that's what made me think this is a Topanga, Angela, yes. Rachel thing. Yes. I'm going to ignore all the boys' bullshit because everything they're doing has been encouraged and allowed to this point that I'm just not even going to focus on that aspect of it because Topanga gave Corey a key and never talked to Rachel about it. And that is the issue that needs to be discussed more than anything else. Corey and Sean say in the beginning they're eating all the food. And in a way, you can be like, oh, Corey and Sean going to their girlfriend's house, eating all of their food. Not ideal, but allowed. Well, the it, dialogue they even say at the time is that, like, isn't it great that our girlfriends never finish their meals? They always have leftovers. They're assuming they're eating Angela and Topanga's food in a way I can overlook. I can forgive. Absolutely overlook that. But then, which, again, with, and to your point, they are like, oh, she didn't tell you? This is awkward. And not, it's not played for laugh. They're not like, awkward. They're like, no, 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 no. This is awkward. We didn't know that they didn't tell you about this. So sorry. They but even then, offered to leave. They offered to leave. But two things happened. One, I can't remember which one of them. They go, um, what, what circumstances, what brought us to this free looky? And I was like, okay, not good. You're yeah. already ogling her. And this is your girlfriend's roommate. And then they bring up the fact that they have Put it in her panty drawer. She's like, you went in my panty drawer? And they're like, calm down. Yes. We only read your diary. And it's like, okay, 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 okay. Yeah. You being in the kitchen eating her food, one thing. You going into her drawer to leave a note. Another thing. Again, a step. I, I don't like it. I think that it's a violation. But you were, in fact, where could she see this? We'll put it in one of her drawers. Of course, we're boys. We're going to put it in the panty drawer. But then you're like, we read your diary while we were in it. It's like, all right, no, you can. You had the excuse of we didn't know that you. We didn't have permission to be in the house, but you knew you should not have been in her bedroom. You knew you should not have been going through her underwear drawer, and you knew that you should not have been reading her diary. That is like what about, you wouldn't do to your sister. Can we talk about what they left in her underwear drawer? A shopping list of snacks that she was lacking in her fridge for them. This is wild behavior. And the fact that they never really get down to the creepiness of the underwear thing is strange. Because even after Rachel confronts Angela and Topanga being like, hey, they've been eating my food. They've gone through, they've read my diary. They've gone through my underwear drawer. Like, 
the girls kind of dismiss it and then wait for Rachel to leave. And they're like, don't ever go through her underwear drawer ever again. And the thing that the boys are most upset with is they're like, oh man, never again. <laughs> like that's the thing that they walked away with is like, oh shit, now we don't have access to go through Rachel's drawers. Like th that's what I mean in terms of the lack of accountability that yes. Sean, uh, that Angela and Topanga have given Sean and Corey to the point where they are now responsible partly for how they are negatively affected other people's lives in the same way that we were saying that Amy and Alan are responsible for how like bad the boys are getting like without a, making your friends accountable you're like over time to their negative behavior you are now a role player and in the yeah. And, yeah an encourager to it all so absolutely to your point like let's let's remember it. Rachel very rightfully says they went through my underwear drawer mm -hmm. they read my diary and these are not children. This, these are not three-year-olds. These are not 13-year-olds. These are grown-ass, in our world, grown-ass men who understand right from wrong. They, under, they have enough to keep calling her a bad girl. Mm -hmm. So they are sexualizing her in her own house and shaming her for her sexual exploits that they snuck and read by the way yeah her own personal thoughts they are using those against her and then on top of it when she expects the other women in her life who she share a space with mm. to condemn condemn them they literally just look over and go well saw we and both Angela and Topanga go, oh, I mean, how can you be mad at that? And it's like, because he's not a child. This is a grown man who went through my things. This is Topanga a says, <laughs> aren't they cute when they're guilty? And I'm like, Topanga, you? No. You yeah. to say that? Come no. on. No, this is not. And I, because I'm very interested. This was written by Allison Gibson. So it was written by a woman. And I wonder how much of the writer's room influenced this storyline because the idea of women sharing space, having their boundaries, the women, the female characters needing to come together and resolve the issues, I love. Yeah. But, and, and if you want to, I uh, imagine a world in which, again, she's like, our boyfriends are like family. We should all just be like family here. And I was like, in my mind, I thought they would do it. Knowing how sexualized Maitland Ward has been, I understand why they didn't, and I'm glad that they didn't. But I was like, she's wearing a towel in that moment. That's a perfect time to just be like, oh, okay. If we all family here, I'm going to walk around in my house comfortably, 100%. which should bother you guys. But instead, they delay it. But I was like, no, she's wearing the towel now. But, you know, again, long, long game, long-term plan. I'm really happy that Maitland didn't have to like even imply that she was nude, but at the exact same time. You know time, what? You were saying at the beginning of this episode, you're like, oh man, it sucks that we have to sexualize Maitland Ward's character again. And even though I agree with it, I have to say out of all the bullshit reasons that they found to sexualize this character, at least this reason gives her agency. At least yes. this reason shows her being intelligent of like, oh, I'm going to play with this game. We get to learn a little bit more about Rachel by how she responds yes. to this issue. And she responds to it very similarly to how she responded to... Um, Eric in the laundry room yep. where she's like, oh, I'm going to play this game, but then I'm doing it to ultimately teach you this almost feeny like lesson. And as the elder woman of the group, I like this being a character trait for her. And I wish 
we got to see more of Rachel like this versus, you know, in some of the other positions that they've put her in. So yes, sexualized, but again, in a way that I feel works in this episode. Oh, I, I agree with you. I love it. And I didn't make that connection, but you're right in that this is how Rachel solves problems. Rachel's like, oh, okay. Yeah. You ain't got to worry about it. <laughs> I'm just going to confront you with your own words mm -hmm. later on. And I feel like that's a great approach. It's very classic television. Yeah. It's also a great way to make a point. Um, the only thing that I will say is it did dawn on me. I was talking about the sexualization of her. I feel like we could have done like a face mask mm. on her, you know, something to make it where she's less presentable and more just at home Definitely. feeling comfortable because the, in that way, she, it's more of a point that she was comfortable. She was at home. She was having her own time and these boys invaded that instead of just making it. Sexy. What's interesting about that is that that's how they portrayed Topanga when she moved in with Corey in the dorm. Exactly. Is that she got, put down but rachel gets sex up so it's just very interesting the way they show these two characters absolutely i agree with that um but then of course we have the resolution to this which is that uh rachel the boys are back at the apartment making out with the girls and it's interesting because the boys are like hey is it cool that we're here rachel's in her room alone like is this sure that we're cool that we're making out and the girls are like insist it's all good which i just thought was interesting yeah and then rachel goes it is all good I'll be cleaning in my underwear if that's mm -hmm. okay with you. And Which isn't really sudden, even underwear. It's like ABC family underwear. It's ABC family. Yeah. But it's implied. We understand what we're going for here. And it does not stop Corey or Sean from having a good old time. The boys are um, basically drooling over Rachel. And instead of getting mad at the boys for sexualizing their roommate, they are upset with Rachel for how she's dressed. This is the kind of shit I'm talking about. This yeah, is the exactly. shit that season one Topanga would not have. She only brought men up for breathing. What does she care about this? Like, it's exactly. a completely different person. But also to your idea, sorry, to your point, the idea that both Angela, who we know to be very educated and uh, aware, more aware than most people, and for Topanga, who we expect at this point in time to still have some sense of solidarity with her female, female friendships. The idea that it is only once Rachel presents her body and is seen as competition that the girls actually understand the importance of boundaries, mm. I have a problem with. A hundred percent. Like, I feel, I, I, I understand why they did it. I understand why she had to take it there. In this, because of the characters that we have in this episode. Well, but, the boys turned into basically that wolf cartoon of the howling. Yeah, They're like yeah. literally pushed the girls off the couch to make room for Rachel. They're in a way that if you saw a couple acting in real life, if you saw a boyfriend doing this in front of his girlfriend, you would be like, something is wrong here. Yeah. You need to work on this relationship, not I need to yell at my female roommate for living in her own house but again it's it's one of the things that bring it's the catalyst that brings the conversation and like allows sure. them to have the time um and to your point i all i kept thinking about is all the boys like i think sean even at one point in time goes hey are you or are you not going to continue cleaning and yeah. you know like it's like this whole thing and then they put them outside and they're looking through the people and i was like it it becomes this thing where we are allowing small infidelities you know mm. it's like it's it doesn't matter that 
Topanga, who uses it herself. It doesn't matter that Topanga is engaged to Corey and that he's her fiance. The idea that he's ogling her roommate is fine. Rachel's the one who needs to be understanding. Topanga never says, hey, you're my fiance and this makes me feel uncomfortable. Please don't treat another woman that way. That never happens. No, she doesn't say you're my fiance and uh, I would like, why are you ogling someone we know, let alone another woman? Nope. All of this is okay. It is Rachel who needs to be understanding that her fiance is going to come into the house sometimes and look at you. You know what? Can I just say something? And I I don't mean to skip ahead, but, you know, in prep for this episode, we actually saw the next episode. And one thing that's current that I want our listeners to pay attention to as we talk next week is how Corey's built up sexual tension plays a role in him him and Topanga's relationship. Because it almost feels like Topanga at this point can sense that Corey is just so horny he can't concentrate and is giving him pass after pass after pass in a way that I feel like is kind of like it's not it's not something that I want to encourage and (laughs) like, it's not something that should be happening in the way that she is allowing this behavior to this almost incel like behavior to manifest. You're saying that Topanga threw Rachel's body at Corey. So she wouldn't be able to keep her own virtue. I'm saying that the reason why she forgave Corey and directed her anger towards Rachel is almost in like this. Oh, well, I can understand why he's so pent up in a way like it, it like i'm not saying that that's what happened but that's how i know. interpreted it. i know but i'm saying that what you're essentially saying is topanga is willing to sacrifice rachel's body if it means that topanga gets to keep her virtue i mean the show is definitely <laughs> saying that <laughs> that's definitely what the show's argument is yeah. uh okay uh, oh, oh just one last thing I want to say is that when Rachel confronts the girls, she say she says, it's cool when they look at my underwear, just not when I'm wearing it, which again, I just thought was just a very powerful line. Yes. I felt it made Rachel seem very wise and smart. It shut yes. the girls down immediately. They apologized yes. profusely. Um, and again, I just I wish we we had we saw Rachel in this light more. I wish we saw Rachel in this light more. And I also wish. I wish there were some kind of consequences for the boys. Um, just kind of going back to like the entitlement of it all. Uh, Corey, even in the A storyline, goes to Eric's place of work and goes, hey, two free hot chocolates. And mm-hmm. Eric's like, no, you got to pay for those now. And Corey is just enraged. He's like, I'm telling mom, you won't give me free things? How dare you? And it's like, yeah, we have reached the point in time where this show no longer wants to teach Corey lessons. It just wants to enable Corey to be Corey and for everyone else to adjust. This show happened at a time when the language of white privilege wasn't there for us to recognize it so clearly as we do in this episode. White boy 101, bringing it back. (laughs) Okay, um, I don't really have anything else to say about this episode. But, yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like we covered it all. So uh, to wrap this up, what is your Feeny lesson? Uh, the one we talked about uh, of of Feeny, I think he even says it at one point. We talked about it. Uh, it's not enough to succeed, but you, because then you'll become a part of it. You must change the the world, and um, with your fine mind and his good heart, you'll go far. A hundred percent. I just feel like this idea that it's not all about capitalism, obviously, um, we need to have heart for people who are struggling and understanding. I wish that message had been a little bit stronger, but I appreciate it. And I think that's what we're supposed to walk away with. I love it. Uh, bra moment. 
Uh, I mean, there's there's so many. Um, I'm going <laughs> to just say, again, going through the underwear drawer, going through the diary, leaving a grocery list in her underwear drawer. The yeah. misogyny was turned up for comedic and tropey purposes in a way that is hard to, it's hard to like appreciate Sean and Corey going forward from this. Exactly. Well, also to your point, it's it's funny because it undermines the scene right before that. You said that, they quote say it's so we're so lucky that the girls never finish their food however if you're leaving a grocery list for rachel then you know that this is not your girlfriend's food 100%. So there's that uh what grade are you giving this episode i'm gonna give this episode a b minus like i oh, said okay. i felt like it was put together mostly well um if you you honestly i you could leave the Jack Eric storyline as is, and I wouldn't change anything. I think a lot of my major changes would come from the girl dynamic of this group. And I, I just feel like some changes could have made it an A episode. But for season seven, bruh, B minus. Uh, and I love how you're being so gracious in season seven. When, when you get a good season seven episode, you're like, yes, you get a higher grade. I'm going to stick with mine, which is I feel like this is the C episode. Uh, I feel like it's, it has a lot of really good pieces. I love the acting. I love the performances. It does feel like two very disconnected stories. And in each story, there is a problem. So to me, you know this what? is a C episode. You, you're right. You know why I say you're right? Because we just watched a season five episode, which is on our Patreon. Um, and going back and revisiting season five, I realized that like sometimes when we're in the weeds, we're grading based off of the expectations of that season versus kind of seeing things with a clear eye. And I think right. that if I were to take all the episodes that we've watched so far of Boy Meets World, this would not be a B minus in the way that some of these right. other episodes have been B minuses. So I think I'm going to take mine down to a C as well, but I feel like for season seven, C plus, we'll call it C plus. Yeah, no, here's the thing. I was like, here's the thing. For season seven, the fact that we're in the, the high C's Feels good. <laughs> it's, it's, it's what we can hope for. The best we can hope for. Okay, you guys. So um, really quickly, before we move on to our homework, want to remind you guys to check out our Patreon. As we have been saying, we have lots of really cool things there. If you want to add free experience, if you want to listen to our last Tango in Philly episode, um, we also have extended episodes, uh, including we will be talking over on our Patreon about our reactions to Pod Meets World's season opener, uh, season four, You Can Go Home Again. Um, we will be having a conversation about that episode. So if you want to hear our thoughts, check that out. Um, we also have merch. We have lots of things for you guys to join. Follow all of your things. Give us your feedback. And we will see you guys on the other side for homework. Okay, here is our homework. What do you have? What's, what's your homework? Uh, you know, I had a hard week last oh, week. Oh, did you? No, okay. it was just like the first week back to work after the holidays. And, uh, you know, it's always a struggle. And at the end of the week, you're just looking for just like a release. Just, just I, I just want some entertainment. Okay. And uh, my solution to that was to go see the movie Iron Claw. Okay. Um, in theaters starring Zac Efron and uh, Jeremy Iron White. Is yeah. that his name? Yeah. Jeremy um, Allen White. Jeremy Allen White. Forgive me. Our new 
Calvin Klein poster boy. Yes. <laughs> I told you. I told you he was hot, ugly. And he is living up to that dream. A hundred percent. He's having a moment right now. Um, yeah, I just went hoping to have like a fun night at the movies. I did not know I was going to be completely devastated and heartbroken by the most tragic movie I can remember seeing in quite some time. Have you really? seen? I've seen it, and it's so funny that you say that because I, without getting too much into it. Do you know that that was toned down? They actually yes. had another son, and even more things happened. And you're like, they had to cut out the tragedy because they were afraid people would think this is unbelievable. The repetitiveness <laughs> of tragedy that happened in this family. <laughs> um, I think that Zach Efron gives like an award winning performance. I thought physically he stepped up to the plate. Him being like five seven and like really feeling like he owned a wrestling ring in that way. Um, I thought that the dynamic between the brothers was great. I love the father figure in the role that he plays. Even um uh uh her name is Maura Turney, Turney the, who, the, who plays the actress who plays the mom um, in Liar Liar, another yeah. movie that features a claw, by the way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I thought she was great. I just thought that everyone did a really good job. And it was just a movie that I did not expect to have such a hardcore emotional reaction to. I thought I was just going to see a fun wrestling movie, but it was just a little bit more in depth, but worth it to see potentially award-winning performances. So I'll say this. Um, first, I felt like the movie worked best as brothers, when mm-hmm. we were telling the stories of the brothers, and even like, or even like the father son's dynamic of it all, how I've been saying this, it's like, it's as if, uh, I think his name is Dionysus, had several sons, mm. and it's all which son could fly closest to the sun. Mm. Uh, that's kind of like the tale that I got from it. Sure, and yeah. they're all trying to fulfill their father's dream in different ways. To their it, own detriment. To their own detriment. And the cost of that, that I really liked. I really yeah. liked that. I really liked kind of like the reckoning of that. I really liked mm-hmm. the, the relationships with the brothers. Um, without spoiling too much, the line, I was once a brother. Yeah. Oh, God. Like that, that is devastating. But that said, it did it did lack a spark for me. Um, but I will say it's kind of interesting. What do you think about Zach Efron's new face? I'll say this. It's a little distracting. I'll say yes. this going into the movie. I do understand that he had like a jaw. Yes. He uh, had like that reconstructive. Sh- yeah, surgery. because he had like a serious accident. So I, I don't want to mock him for that, but I will say that whatever is happening with his face, I think makes him a more believable wrestler. Yeah. In terms of just like, that's kind of how wrestlers look. They all kind of have hot dog skin and weird hair. And so like, (laughs) there was something about it that kind of made his performance, it made it fit more in the movie in a way that when I see him do interviews, I'm a little bit more taken back by it. So I, I wasn't trying to make fun of him. I was just saying that to me, this is the first kind of feature film he has done with Mm -hmm. his new face. And it is interesting because part of me, it's like just trying to, like from the eyes up, it's the Zac Efron I know. From the nose down, it's a new person. And having to fit that juxtaposition into one person, into one performance is hard. Um, And I think that that hurts him a little bit, but... I also see this as if this is the work that he is willing to do, 
I think that it's just about exposure, very much like we did with Michael Jackson, where after yeah. a while, that's just who you are. That's just who you uh that's just who we've known you to become. And I do see no matter what, I see an award in his future. I can I just say this? I didn't I wasn't really hip to the whole Zac Efron story what happened with the surgery and anything like that when I saw the trailers I thought it was prosthetics to look more like the original person Ah. and so I think because of that I kind of viewed the movie as if it was prosthetics almost I don't know again it was just I, I I did I wasn't I kind of used his face to add to the story versus it distracting from it in a way that worked for me. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say that, um, to your point, the mom doesn't have a lot to do, but her performance, like her her almost passivity, yeah, and uh, I guess it's like complicitness, yeah. um, that is also it, uh, really, really good performances. And all, I think, I think everyone in the cast is just stellar. Um, but, you know, you guys, Watch it. Let us know what you Can think. I just say one other thing about this? I feel like wrestling actually makes for very good movies. I don't know oh, if you saw does. The Wrestler. It does. I don't know if you've seen yes, even like uh, uh, Man on the Moon, like yep. weirdly had like wrestling seen... moments to it. And I feel like it just plays really well on a big screen. I think that there's a lot of um, the choreography of wrestling, like the way that this movie shoots it specifically on like a very grainy film. It just makes it seem like uh, a ballet of sorts. It adds a lot of theater to it that I just think works really well in a movie setting. I'm down to see more wrestling-based biopics or things like that. Like, I would love to get into some of the other uh, wrestlers that maybe people are more familiar with, some stories that are equally tragic within wrestling that I'm more aware of that kind of happened in the 90s and 2000s. Kurt Angle comes to mind, things like that. So it, it, there's just, I I'm hope that this opens the doorway for more wrestling-based storytelling, because I think it works. I, I think it works. I love it. Well, you know what it is? They're sports movies. And when mm-hmm. they're done right, they're great sports movies. Yeah. And the thing about ever since I saw Glow, it really made me yes. understand that wrestling is just soap operas for men. Mm-hmm. And when you understand that, when you understand that there's like a soap opera aspect to all of this, yeah. then it allows even the writers who are telling a true story to kind of echo those elements in in their narrative. There's a uh, there's a moment where um he's being asked by his uh girlfriend who later becomes his wife, Lily James who plays her. He's, she's like, Isn't it all fake? Like, don't you know who's gonna win? And the way he describes it as like, well, no, like me winning a match is like me getting a promotion and me getting a title is like my boss is like, you know, giving me a raise. And I was just like, Oh, that's such a fascinating way to think about it that I haven't really thought about it. And again, I, the nuts and bolts of it all of putting on professional wrestling is very interesting to me. To that point, there's a scene in which uh Zach Efron gets thrown on the floor and the idea that he didn't get up quick enough. Yeah may have cost him is you're like oh really like this dude very clearly is injured and he gets up but they were like "Mm, we should have got off a little bit sooner and you're like wait that's what we're judging i didn't even know that that was like a criteria so you're right it made it does make it very and i will say that iron claw great movie to start the new year with because again zach afron's body is insane in this movie jeremy allen white looks great too but zach afron there's moments where they're just showing him just like doing yeah. drills in the ring back and forth and you're like wow this dude is just like a force of nature so yeah a great inspo for the for the new year speaking of good movies this mm. was one of our biggest recommendations um before the new year i believe we mentioned it in our homework episode and i have to say they were not lying 
I saw Godzilla minus one. <gasps> How was it? That movie is fantastic. Oh, that movie bro. is why you go to movies. That movie, Godzilla minus one, they were not lying, where it's like some of the best. Like, I'm not going to lie, it starts off a little slow. And I was watching it in the beginning, like first 20 minutes, being like, this is what everyone was raving yeah. about. But no, this movie. Like, it does everything that you want a movie to do. It's spectacle. But Ooh. it does Godzilla in a way that is almost um, almost stop motion-y in a sense where okay. you're like, oh, you're not worried about trying to give me the most realistic Godzilla that you can give me. You're worried about giving me the most realistic Godzilla movie that you could give me, mm. the most Godzilla story that you could tell. And it's set in post- um, post-World War II, after the bomb, Ooh, Japan, but like directly it. after. Like we, we, like there is destruction everywhere. And it's a really good story about community coming together after a tragedy and how the government has used these people as pawns. And it is only in them coming together as a community and not relying on the government to solve their problems that they actually can succeed to overcome the ramifications of war. Bruh, it, I you've yeah. sold me on this. I'm so excited for this movie. It's I don't good. even think it's playing in theaters anymore. I think I missed my window. I think I have to wait for it to to come it, out. It's in a theater in LA. I guarantee you. I'm, look, yeah, I'm sure I can find it. I guarantee theater. you, it's, yeah. it's out there. But Godzilla Minus One is a fantastic movie. The performances are great. Also, this movie had a budget. It's listed as a budget of $15 million. Wow. And let me let me finish. The director said, I wish I had that much money. He was like, that number is false. That may be what they told y'all, but that is not how much that's money like they the gave budget me. with marketing. Yeah. yeah. That's not how much they gave me. So when you watch this movie and you see how big the set pieces are, yeah. how great the VFX is. Because, I mean, you have a giant lizard. Sure. There's VFX music. But there is practical effects. There are all of these things. There's costumes that are just beautiful to look at. Fantastic cin cinematography. And it's a good movie on less than $15 million. You look at everything else and you're like, what are we doing? What are you doing? That's so interesting. <laughs> and I've, I'm so much more excited to see it knowing that now, especially when you look at everything that's going on with movies, like uh, major blockbuster films that are coming out now, where it's like, hey, these overly inflated budgets. Yep. We're not making enough money to be able to afford to spend $300 million on every Disney movie or whatever. Like it, these tentpole films have almost destroyed the movie going experience in so many ways that to see like a low budget, high action film just feels like such a, a blast good. from the past concept. It's so good. I can't wait for you to watch it because I would love yeah. to talk to you about well, it. Well, because when your budget's shit, you have to focus on the script. It's like everything everywhere at once. It's like you have to do a lot with a little. And the way you can do that is with great writing. And that's why like, I'm so excited to see this. Great writing and great acting. Because I was talking mm. to someone about this. And it's like when you have, when you don't have the special effects, you need someone who can get it right. Oh, I remember I, I was watching old movies with my friend Lordy who has been a guest on the pod and 
he and I were watching these old movies and being like, reminder, these were things that you you had to do. You had one chance to get this right because mm-hmm. it's on film. So yeah. you need someone who can convey the emotions that you want them to convey, who can hit their lines, who can hit their marks, who can hit like, you know, get it in a shot because we don't have all day. We don't have unlimited resources to do this. Sure. And this movie reminded me of that, where it's like the performances are so good, and that's because we don't have all day to continuously do this. We don't have a one hundred and fifty million dollar budget. We yeah. have a fifteen million dollar budget, if that. Sure. So, I, and I feel like that probably has to play a part in the performances of the actors, where you know, you it's like, hey, you have this one chance to get it right, almost like theater. Whereas, yeah. you know, in the like a Marvel film or something, it's like, hey, we're going to do six months of reshoots anyway for anything that doesn't work. Or we'll just have AI change it. Like, it's like, yeah. you really kind of capture that human emotion, I think, when there are stakes involved. It's one of my uh, favorite parts of the show BoJack, where mm-hmm. they're filming this movie and BoJack is just like, everything about this movie is not working. And the director's like, we'll fix it in post, no matter yeah. what it is. He's like, ah, we'll fix it in post. And I feel like that's definitely become Hollywood's approach where now I think, I honestly think that movies are starting to take a turn and they are starting to be less special effects, less high budget. And we are starting to get good storytelling again because people are like, we don't want to see everyone in front of a green screen. We want so to- people are asking for it, but also these studios are running out of the damn money. They can't keep <laughs> giving everyone millions and millions of dollars. Like exactly. make them learn how to make a movie for thirty thousand thirty million dollars. We did it all the time in the nineties. I don't know what yeah. happens. As a matter of fact, the other day for the very first time, I was like, I can't remember what it was, but there was a specific movie where I was like, I feel like we could have had 20 more minutes. Like you didn't yeah. quite hit the two hour mark. And I would have been willing to give you 20 more minutes if it meant that I would have gotten a little bit more of a fleshed out story. And I actually feel like that's a good problem to have. Yeah, I was going to say, like, leaving a movie wanting more versus leaving a movie feeling like it was overly conflated, like, is an experience I haven't had in quite some time. Right. Okay. Um, so thank you guys for tuning into Broad Meets World. Don't forget to leave us a rating and a review. Um, Tell us that you are that we are your favorite podcast. And if that's not true, lie to us anyway and still give us five stars. Yeah, keep it to um, your damn self. We don't want to hear your negativity. <laughs> uh, reach out to us, even if it's negatively, uh, at Broad Meets World. You guys have been so great on our YouTubes. Thank you for helping increase that number. Continue to do so. Um, and uh, I think this is a good time to kind of end it. And remember, as Feeney would say, to dream... Okay, go ahead. Go oh, ahead. No, 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 I'm sorry, sorry. sorry. <laughs> Remember to, to dream. dream. All right, you want to just do it as a unison? Yeah. Okay, okay. Dream, dream try, try, do good. good. All right, later, bros. Later, bros. This episode of Broad Meets World was produced by CJ and edited by Tony Curtis. Broad Meets World is a two free tokens media production. Bye. Bye. When this boy meets world.